Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at those first seven verses and we look at it. Excel in this act of grace. Be praying for me. My cough is still there. And the fact that I'm wondering if I even remember how to do this. It's been over two months since I preached. So trying to figure it out all over again. Get my legs back. Excel in this act of grace. You know, it's no surprise that there are different views of money. On one hand, you have one representative of Congress who would say something like that she believes that a system that allows people to become billionaires is immoral. Or goes on to say it really comes down to the question, isn't $10 million enough? Now, how many of you would say $10 million is enough money for you? Okay, you know what? That's not true because if you had $10 million, you know what you would be spending? 10 million plus. That's just the way life seems to go. But we can understand that concept. And and I think we would agree, yeah, 10 million seems obviously enough for someone for the rest of their lives. But then on the other hand, you have a philosophy that's captured in the song Money from the 60s. The best things in life are free, but you can keep them for the birds and bees. Now give me money. That's what I want. That's what I want. Yeah, that's what I want. And so we have these different philosophies of money. Now, this is not a political or cultural message, but one that I think that we need to gather as Christians. You see, these two philosophies are gauged in a tug of war in our politics, in our communities, in our culture. And even in our marriages, money seems to be that number one issue that comes. How you think about money, how you use your money, how you spend your money, how one thinks of money is important. And it's one of those things that you better get right very soon. We have a love-hate relationship with money many times. We hate that everyone, everything seems to boil down to how much money you have, because we never seem to have enough. But yet we also love to have more of it. We would desire more of it. Today we're going to have the money talk. Now, I want to apologize to any of you who haven't been here very long. We don't talk about money much at this church, except when it comes in our regular exposition of Scripture. But from time to time, I think it's important to have a money talk, to sit down and say, what does the Bible say about money? And as it came to my turn to preach, and I know that I was preaching a kind of a one-off away from the Philippians for a couple weeks, I wanted to share this talk. It's important for us as Christians to understand what the Bible has to say about money. Because the discussions and the arguments go all over the place. But in the end, God has something to say about money. So first, or 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 8, 1 through 7. It's going to be here on the monitors, but I hope you have your Bibles. And again, if you need a Bible, please let us know. We have Bibles that we are willing to give you good copies of translations of God's Word. We want you to take it home with you. Let me know or Dustin know, and we'll make sure you have one as you leave today. And I want to encourage you, always bring your Bibles. The one thing as I was going around different churches during my sabbatical in, in January was either the lack 
of scripture that was used in the preaching or how often they went to it. And I remember there was one church I just loved because when the pastor said, turn here, you just could hear the paper rustling, the Bibles being turned. We want you to know, brothers, Paul writes to the church of Corinthians, the church of Corinth, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia was a, was a region right above uh, Greece. You may know of it as Alexander the Great. You might, might have heard of him. He was Macedonian, as his father, obviously. But he was talking to the churches of Macedonia, that region there of north, uh, northern Greece. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in verse 7, in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So with that, Father, we have our marching orders. We are to excel in this act of grace. Father, is giving really an act of grace? Father, help us this morning as we open your word. Be with me, Lord, as I'm just struggling with the cough. Let it just be minimized. Father, let me speak words that are edifying and let us know the difference between just uh, your word and my mere opinion. Father, let us hold truth to the gospel. And Father, what's found here in your scripture, Lord, I pray that you just have free reign to work in our hearts. Lord, that we may respond positively to whatever your call, to whatever your Holy Spirit has planned for us this morning. We pray and thank you in your name. Amen. Here's a question. <clears throat> Is money good or evil? Is money good or evil? And you can, might get a whole lot of different types of questions or caveats about that, but typically we have a type of thought, is money good or evil? Well, the answer is simply, it's both. Money is a way in which we just simply put value to our production, to your production, and to the value of what that which we want to consume. It's a tool. The Bible never instructs us that money is evil. Of course, we are all, as believers, we're drawn to Paul's instructions in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.10, where he says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. So money as a commodity is not evil, but a love for it is. A craving for it is. It is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is dangerous in that money can make life easier and can make an idol out of that wealth. It can lead to a laziness, to a sluggardness. But also it can be dangerous that wealth is like an anesthesia. It can deaden the spiritual pain and numb our need for Christ. Hence why Christ says that it's harder for a rich man to come to Christ because of that spiritual numbness, that, that the lack of reliance on God. Jesus had warned his disciples in Luke chapter 16 that no servant can serve two masters. You know this portion of scripture, do you not? 
For either will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or mammon. How do you and I think of money exposes if our heart is full of covetousness, jealousy, laziness, a lack of trust in God's providence. So how you think of money, can it tell much about the condition of your heart and what you think of God? Now, the 10th commandment states that you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You should not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servants or his female servants or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your, that is your neighbor's. But as we see, the love of money is what's coming from covetousness. That's what covetousness is. John, or James warned the readers of the fourth chapter of his letter. He says, what causes, or he asks, what causes quarrels? What is it that causes fights among you as believers is it not this that your passions are at war within you you desire and you do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions so if money is a tool for you to to seek and to to that which you uh, crave for passions that are ungodly, then yes, money is evil then in that respect. But money can also be a blessing. Pastor Mike McKinley that writes that money and prosperity honestly, honestly gained and honestly acquired can be a great blessing from God. There is a sense, not in the health, wealth, and prosperity giving in which you plant a seed and God gives back, but when you honestly acquire your money, God can bless you through that. God created the earth to be prosperous. Even in its sin state that seeks to to limit that, we can still be prosperous. Prosperity is oftentimes the fruit of obedience and wisdom. Those who know how to use their money and their talents and their energies well. It also wealth helps us provide for the needy. And when Jesus returns and makes all things new, God's people will once again be prosperous. In other words, money itself is not evil or good. The biggest danger is not money as a commodity, not in what you and I think of dollar bills and bonds and things of that nature, but how you and I think about money and how we use it. And that's where I want to park for a moment because I want to challenge how you think about money. Now, before we do that, there's three truths here, and they're going to be on the monitor here, to know about stuff and to know about money. Those things that you and I desire, the stuff of life. First one is God made all things that exist. Scriptures open with these words. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. David declared in Psalms 89:11 that the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it, you have found in them. In other words, there is nothing that exists, visible or invisible, that God did not make and create. God does not need raw materials as you and I do. God makes something out of nothing. The second thing that you and I need to know about stuff is that God owns and rules over all that exists. King David sung in Psalms 24 that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof of the world and those who dwell therein. 
In Psalms 50, David declares that God, that every beast of the forest is God's. The cattle on a thousand hills, the Lord says. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the fields is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. I can't remember which Puritan said it. Someone can remind me here, but said there's not one area of God that God does not look and say, mine. All things. Do you remember who that is? Piper? Kuiper. Okay. Dutch. Former, right? When we say this is mine, when you and I look at our stuff, and think of the stuff that you have, just real quickly in your mind. You know, some of you might have a lot of stuff. Maybe you have boats and cars and homes and houses and things of that nature. But maybe you just have just a little bit of stuff. Maybe it's just in a room. Maybe everything that you have can be fit in a box. Whatever it may be, think of that. Do you think of all of that as yours? Something that you attain and you acquired and it's yours and not anyone else's? You see, it changes our relationship to the possessions and to others and God when we recognize that even the most littlest thing that I have is from God. That's what the gospel primer says. Every legitimate uh, pleasure I have is from God. Every function of every organ and every heartbeat and every breath is a gift from God to us. And that would include your stuff, houses and shoes and things of that nature. But number three, the most important thing that you and I need to understand about stuff that money buys is that God is the infinite treasure of the universe. It is not your baseball card collection. It is not your Pokemon card collection. It's not your list of Star Wars uh, memorabilia. And the fact that I actually said that word surprises me. Third, God is rich in the sense that he himself is the infinite treasure of the universe. That has to get an amen out of some believers. God does not have to create anything or to own anything in order to be rich. He is rich in himself. He himself is of infinite value. And so as we said, I think it was Jim Elliott, but Elliott said, uh, he is a fool who, oh, I'm not going to get it. Closer. This is important for you and I to embrace. Let us come back here because this is important. It's important for you to embrace that life is not about what you collect. You've heard me say it before. Very rarely will you see a hearse pulling a U-Haul after it. Those things can be buried with you, but they're not going into eternity. Wherever your eternal home is, will not go. Scripture tells us that. If we lose this important truth then we're prone to supplant God from his throne and replace it with the stuff that money buys. I'm sad to say that there may be some of us that are struggling with that today. And the thing is, it's not that you have it, it's that you desire it and your mind goes towards it. That stuff that we're talking about may not be something that you actually own. It is just something that you want to attain and acquire so much is that it just captures your mind and hearts. Many times it brings up bitterness or a jealousy and envy of others or a covetous heart that wants what someone else has. 
stuff, experiences, things of that nature. You see, the first big idea, and this is on the screen if you're taking notes, the first big idea is that you and I are stewards of God's kingdom. Everything belongs to God. And stewardship is the belief that everything a person owns belongs to God. Is that your mindset? Is there things that you see and you recognize that this is a gift from God? Scripture informs us in 1 Corinthians 4 2 that's required of stewards to be found faithful. All that we have, all that you and I enjoy, all that we receive comes from the Father's loving hand. Now, that's not only the stuff that you own and the stuff that you're looking to acquire, but that's, that's including your intelligence, the strong hands and the, and the strong back that you may have for, for manual labor, the way in which you pull up your own boots. All of that comes from God. Thank you. The Bible paints a wonderful word picture of a giving God. Paul instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy that as for the rich in this present age, he says, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but to put their hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. In Acts 14, 17, Paul preaches to the men of Lystra that God did not leave himself without a witness for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Now, in that case, he's speaking of non-believers. And of course, we know scripture tells us that it rains on the just and the unjust. Now, for an agrarian in a culture in which you have farming, they know that you could do all these things, but if God does not give the rain... If God does not bring the sun, then everything that you've done can be futile. James wrote in his letter that every good and every perfect gift is from God above, coming down from the Father of lights. And we need to see when a steward is faithful, we look and say, well, what does it mean to be faithful? It's to do that which God does, what God has commanded us. And we see that God is a giving God. Gordon MacDonald He writes that God the Father is the first generous giver. God is the Son, is the chief of generous givers. And God the Holy Spirit is the ongoing expression of God's generosity in us. So here we see the Trinity at work at generously giving to those who truly do not deserve it. For whatever you have is a wonderful gift from God whether it's the stuff that's in your closet to what you're driving or to even your talent that you have, all of that is a gift. Do you work for it? Yes. Do you train it? Yes. Do you you cultivate it? Yes. But all these things still is a gift from God at first. Now this is captured by John in his first letter. When he writes, when he says, by this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's a very good question. Little children, let us not love in word or in deed or in talk, but in deed and in truth. 
You see, this passage instructs us how to lay down our lives as stewards and to love in deed and truth, not just in talk. And we do that by giving as the Trinity has given back to us. Look at the monitor, because I want you to get the second big idea. And that's the idea that you and I are to give to glorify God, to promote submission to him, to understand that we are to submit to his lordship, and to demonstrate our love for others. So why does God give? So that you and I may glorify God, that we may come and recognize that everything comes from his hand, and so that you and I then could supply what others need, so that we then too can be givers. Now, the question may be, because I think you would agree with that, I think most of you would say amen, even if it wasn't out loud, but you may ask, Why don't we give back to God? Why do we struggle giving back to God? And sometimes it's not so much giving away something. It may just be giving away the authority of it, of not holding it so tight. And I believe the main problem is that we do not give back because of fear. We do not give back because of fear. We ask questions of ourselves. And this is what fear does. Fear is a prophet. You know, fear and anxiety is a prophet that says, what if? What about? You're looking to the future. So we ask questions. What if I need the money for something else? What if I help somebody else, but all of a sudden I need that money as well? We ask questions. Well, am I saving enough? And that's a good uh, question to ask. Am I saving enough? But, but then that becomes a fear. We ask the question, what if, what if I have an unexpected expense? What if I help somebody in this and then something happens to us? What if my car breaks down? What if I need it for the gas, gas company? What if I need it for food? And then we ask this question, is anybody else giving this much? And then we want to compare ourselves to others. Well, is anybody else giving? Why should I give? You see, the problem is, <clears throat> and I'm speaking to you, and I want you to listen to me. The problem is, is that we are so self-centered And so occupied with our own passions, desiring and seeking to satisfy our own appetites, that you and I forget God's promises. It's plain and simple. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God, can you say that this morning as we take communion? Can you say, and my God, that possessive pronoun? I pray that you do. If not, I pray that you recognize that Christ has come to save the lost. And he asked you to come to him. But he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and the glory of Christ Jesus. That's something you can bank on. Every need. Now that's not a want. That's not a desire. That's not a craving and appetite. But he says he'll meet every need that you have according to his riches. And let me tell you, when you and I go to a bank and we draw checks, does anyone anyone write checks anymore? There's There's a few souls out there, okay. But when you're writing that check, you're banking on the fact that the bank has enough money and that you have enough money to cash that out. We're here, God is saying, God can meet every need according to his riches. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's a problem for the new Green Deal, I think, though. But that's beside the point. 
is that we have to look at this. God can bank on that. You can't outgive God. You can't outneed God. He'll meet that need. And here's the problem. Again, pay attention, please. We forget the goodness of God so often when it comes to money and our needs. We do not trust God to provide. We begin to rely on our strength and on our ability to supply our own needs. This is a folly. I'm reminded, and you, you've heard me say this before, I'm reminded of the movie Shenandoah with Jimmy Stewart. And he plays Charlie Anderson during the Civil War. His wife, who was a Christian, a believer, died, leaving him many children. And, he, and she just said, take them to church and pray with him. Now, Charlie is not a believer. And he frustratingly and bitterly uh, does these things because his promise to his wife. It's Thanksgiving dinner. He comes and he begins to pray for all the food that is before him. And this is what he prays. Lord, We cleared this land. We plowed it. We sowed it. And we harvested it. We cooked the harvest. And it wouldn't be here. And it wouldn't be eaten. And we wouldn't be eaten. If we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you Lord the same. For the food we're about to eat. Amen. What is he saying in that prayer? Everything came because of his industrious spirit and his hard work. But I guess I got to thank you just the same. Talk about a backhanded uh, prayer. But that captures many times our thought processes about money and about giving and about stuff. It sums up the thinking of too many Christians today. You say, no, it doesn't. Well, we're going to find out. I'd like to take you to a minute here to, to talk about two obstacles. If God has called us to be a steward, and a steward is to be faithful, and one way a steward is to be faithful is to give back and to submit to God and to give God the glory with the stuff that he gives us, then what are things that prevent us from doing so other than fear? I want to give you two of them. You've heard this before from me, so it's not new, but it's good to have this reminder. The first one, the first obstacle is that of consumerism. I know it's a big word, consumerism. Consumerism is about consumption. The consecrated effort to consume things in order to meet one's real and perceived needs and wants. I had that this morning as I bought a, a um, oatmeal this morning. I just wanted an oatmeal for breakfast. I did not wind up eating that oatmeal. That's a funny story on its own. But one of consumers, that's it. Well, we won't even get that there. We'll, we'll go on. One of consumers' driving principles, now look at this. Now, this is how you know if this is one of the obstacles that you face when it comes to thinking about money. The driving principle is rights over responsibility. Rights over responsibility. In other words, it's my money, it's my stuff, and I will do with it as I please. Now, here's a point that you need to understand. Because many of you say, well, I don't make enough money to have consumerism, to have that as an obstacle. Well, consumerism is not based on the amount of money you have to spend, okay? It's the way you think about the amount of money you have to spend. It's how you think about how much you have. 
Not about how much you have, but how you think about it. You get your taxes back. What's he going to do with it? Well, we get a refund. Now I get to do this. You get a bonus. Oh, I get to do this. You get an increase in in wage or maybe an unexpected inheritance comes in. and Oh, look at this. But how many of you ever, and I'm guilty, how many of you ever think, wow, I get this a couple extra hundred dollars. I wonder who I could help. I wonder who has a need. I wonder if a missionary could use this. So I think you're seeing my point here. It's not how much we make. It's how we think about the money that we do have and the excess that we might have. When we pursue as our means of fulfillment the the things of our neighbor possesses instead of pursuing pursuing God, you and I worship these things rather than God alone. And that could be stuff. It could be entertainment. It could be different various pleasures. It could just be nothing. Just uh, relaxing. I need to ask you, do you have the obstacle consumerism? See, the Bible warns us about this. He tells us in Ecclesiastes, he says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. And I will share with you, you will never be satisfied with money as a believer. It may bring you some joy, some happiness. It may bring you some relief, but it'll never bring you full joy. As we've already said, the love of money is the root of all evil. And through this craving that some have wandered away from the face and pierced themselves with many pangs. The second one, and let us go quickly, is the obstacle of covetousness. In the identifying mark of false teachers, Peter writes that they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice steady stills, but their hearts are trained for greed. And I want to encourage you parents, because I see this even in my own self. Many times we have trained our children for greed. How? Advertisement. Commercials. Remember the JCPenney or Sears catalog? Looking at all the things. You know what that was doing? They're training you for greed. That's what a commercial is. It convinces you that you need something that you really don't. It's training you. Be careful with your children, with YouTube. And it's filled with advertisements and these toy ones. They're training your children for greed. Why? Because that's how we've been trained. And we don't even see it many times. What can I have? What can I get? Jesus warned his disciples, take care and be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know, there used to be a phrase, a bumper sticker from the 70s. He who dies with the most toys wins. I don't know if anybody remember those. You know, I wanted to add on there. Yeah, he who dies with the most toys wins, but he still dies. That score doesn't count it in heaven. Somebody asked, do you struggle with consumerism? Are you trying to keep up with, excuse me, the Joneses? As I wrote this, I thought, well, we have, we have the Joneses in our church, so. And then I was going to do the Smiths, but we have the Smiths as well. So are you trying to keep up the Franzes? Let's do that one. Do you find yourself struggling with jealousy and envy and covetousness? Desiring what others have? Do you find it hard to give to others? And is your heart hardened towards those in need? If it is, you may be struggling with those two obstacles. 
These two obstacles are not always evident. I had to share with you, I struggle with covetousness. Like Paul, Paul said, I thought I was doing well with the Ten Commandments and the law of God until I saw that I had covetousness in my heart. One of the ways it's evident in my heart is, is I have a tendency when I close my eyes or just daydream that I, I wish that I had all the money to provide jobs for everyone in my church and cars and homes and help with missionaries and to do this and do that. And reality, it's, it's fun to kind of dream of that. You know, if I won the lotto, what would I do type thing? But what happens is there is when I'm thinking of that and I'm thinking how to solve those problems, I'm taking God out of the equation. In my fantasies, in my daydreams. Maybe it's the fact that God wants to solve these needs. Of course, then we say, well, but if I win the lotto, then God, then I can do this. Well, no, you won't. If you're not doing it now, you won't do it then. You need to understand this. It's the covetousness and consumerism is so ingrained on our hearts because we have grown up with this type of attitude with these types of things ingrained in our minds and our hearts. The way do we get rid of it is Luke chapter 12, and my time is going past very quickly. And I'm not into the main part of the message. Well, if you have your Bible real quick, you can turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 33. I'll give you just one second. In this passage, this is important, so I don't want to go past this. Jesus teaches us how to defeat these two obstacles, these two enemies of giving, of being a good steward. Luke chapter 12, verse 33. I just want you to underline the first line. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Amen? Oh, okay. Oh, me? Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with treasure in heavens and does not fail with no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure? God is not saying, how, now sell everything and give it away. He's, he's not saying that uh, uh, in, in that regard. But he's talking about a mindset. Be ready to go because you and I have a great commission that we're to do. And as we do it, we do it with the heart of the great commandment to love God and to love our neighbors. And so as we disciple, part of that discipling is, is we're going to have to fund it. We're going to have to advance the kingdom of God by giving towards it. Dave Harvey, in his book, Worldliness, in the chapter, God, My Heart and Stuff, he, he writes this, listen to this. He says, one common fallacy that dazes some Christian is virtual giving. In other words, we have Christians that are virtual givers. And it occurs in one's mind. If things were only different, if I had more, we say, I'd give more. That's virtual giving. In reality, if you and I had more, we would undoubtedly find new ways to use it or to store it. And I'd have to say that we, as church, not ourselves, but all churches, many times we are guilty of being virtual givers. We think that we're giving when we're really not. We think that if I would give, if I could just do this and do that. Well, you and I know that there's things that you and I ought to give for. I'm not going to spend time on this. As you and I, the Bible tells us, and I'm doing scripture here, the Bible tells us that we're to give money 
to provide for the church ministry. Salaries, utilities, lights, gas, heat. We're to provide for the household of God's members. That's our deacon's fund. And I encourage you to give towards that. Just take one of the, the envelopes, write deacon's fund on it. It's, it's to help others within our church that need it. The Bible tells us to contribute to the needs of saints, saints and seek to show hospitality. He says, to, so as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of God. So we're to give so that we can help each other when we're in need. And then thirdly is to provide for missions. That's one reason I give this message is we're coming into missions emphasis and coming to the end of our fiscal year is we need to consider what are we giving for our missions? Are we sending people out? Are we planning churches? But I want to come now here to our passage of scripture because there's some things that God tells us to do. Because I think you understand me, and I think we've talked about this over the years, we're family, that you and I understand that we're to be stewards of God, faithful stewards of God. We are to think of money in such a way that we give as God gives. And that money is not to rule over our lives or the things that money buys, but we are to submit to God in all things. So the question then gives, how are you and I to give? We're to be faithful stewards of all that God has given us. We understand that we have some obstacles, so we have, to, we have to face those obstacles, get over them, get through them in some way. But it's also important for us to realize how we are to give, and that's where I want to close. So let's share four ways. Are you in your passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 8? The first way that you and I are to give is sacrificially. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, look at verse 2a, the first part of 2. Paul writes that the Macedonian church gave even though that they were in a severe test of affliction and they gave of their abundance of joy and in their extreme poverty. In other words, Macedonia was not a rich church. Now Corinthians, the church of Corinth, was a very um, affluent church. Very uh, giving, or not giving, they were not giving, but they're a rich church. But Macedonia was a very poor area. But what we see here is they gave out of their affliction and they gave out of their extreme poverty. With what? Joy. They excelled in this grace of giving. C.S. Lewis says, I do not believe one can settle on how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is that you and I are to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as their own, we are probably giving away too little. In other words, he says, if you can own everything that other people are owning that make the same amount of you, you're probably not giving enough. Because where is the sacrifice? If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say, C.S. Lewis says, that it's too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because we are committed to giving to God. David says, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. So let me ask, as you give to the church and to the deacons fund and to missions, does it cost you anything? Or is it just something that you give as an afterthought? Is it just something that you can spare? The Bible tells us to give sacrificially. I'm not asking what God wants you to cut off. Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe it's Hulu. Maybe it's the combination of those things. Maybe it's a dinner out once a week. 
Bible says we ought to sacrifice to give. Because what is it to give? And it costs you nothing. Is that what you want to give to the Almighty God? Secondly, we are to give generously. Continue in eight in Second Corinthians eight. Look at the second part of verse two. Paul writes that the Macedonians giving, though they were considered poor, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. In their affliction, in their poverty, they were still generous. We see this generous spirit in Acts 10, where Luke writes that there was a man named Cornelius, a Gentile, a centurion of the Roman guard. He was known as the Italian, or with what was known as the Italian court. It says he was a devout man who feared God and with all his household, and he gave alms generously to the people. We're to be generous givers. Why? God is a generous giver. James writes in his letter that God himself is a generous giver. If you lack, lack wisdom, let him ask to God who gives generously. So you and I are to give generously, not only sacrificially, but generously. Thirdly, we are to give intentionally. Intentionally. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3-4. through 4. Paul writes that the Christians in Macedonia gave according to their means, okay, out of their poverty, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the, earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You came this morning, I, I hope, and we've encouraged you to do this. Come praying this morning about the service. Pray, Lord, I pray that I would be able to, to use my spiritual gifts this morning. And I pray that you know it's your spiritual gift and you've used it in some way. Whether it's encouragement, whether it's giving, whether it's of helps, whether it's of teaching, of singing. But also, have you come this morning saying, this is what I'm going to give this morning. The Bible tells us to lay up store and give each week that which God gives us. So as each man has, has purposed in his heart, Scripture says, have you come this morning and say, oh, I got a couple bucks. This is what I give. Now you may intend to give whatever your wallet has, but unless you're intending to do something about that wallet, it's not given much. So give intentionally purposely say in your heart, I am going to give what God has purposed. Now, you know, I'm not a pastor who teaches tithing. I don't believe that's a, a new covenant uh, responsibility. For one, many who come and tithe uh, don't could give more than tithing, 10%. And they think that their, their duty is, is solved when they give 10%, when they could give 11, 12, 15, 20. But in the same way, God hasn't called us to a, a duty to where we may not be able to measure up in our lack of faith but we're to give intentionally. So not only sacrificially, generously, intentionally, but number last, number four, we're to give cheerfully. Paul commands in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, going to a different portion of scripture, each one must give as he has decided his heart, there's intentionally again, not reluctantly or under compulsion, not under some duty, but for God loves a cheerful giver. You and I sometimes have to have this money talk. Why? Because we need to reorient ourselves. Because you are bombarded hours on end each day on money. And what to do with it. How to think of it. You and I are not immune to Satan's devices in that regard. But yet you and I need to be faithful stewards in which we give as God has called us to. You see, this attitude of giving reflects 
Christ sacrificially, generously, intentionally, cheerfully. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 real quickly. I think you're there. Verses 8 and 9. Paul continues in this instruction for the Corinthian church. For he now tells them why he wants them to excel in this grace of giving. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of your love of, of others that your love is genuine. So it proves your love is genuine, but go on. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. In other words, Christ gave sacrificially, generously, intentionally, and cheerfully. And Dustin has taken us through Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Where God had this mind, had this mind as Christ, who gave up of himself. Your attitude and thinking about money speaks volumes of your attitude and your thinking about Christ. And whether or not your love for him is genuine. So let me close with this. Do you need to repent of wrong attitudes towards money? Are you struggling with covetousness and, cons- and consum- consumerism? Let me ask you this morning, would you commit to serving God and others by giving intentionally, sacrificially, generously? What is preventing you from doing so today? Now, some of you here today are mature in this area. And you're able to help, but you're mature in this area. And you may be able to help others with budgeting, advice, and modeling this grace of giving. I'm going to ask if you've matured in this area, if you're able to say, amen, I, I've got this covered, then, then I'd like for you to come to us elders and share with us how God has helped you through that. But also I want you to see that that may be the way that God is wanting you to work with others in this church to help us give. Because I understand one reason that you and I give is because for many of us, we're living day by day, week by week, check by check, just barely making it above. And so our giving to the kingdom of God is limited because of our giving to our, to our creditors. And so there may need to be a, a, a fundamental change in how you and I think of money because we've gotten ourselves into a mess. We cannot give right now because, or give as much as we'd like because we're having to give to this. I remember... When we were young, we had some creditors after us. And finally, one creditor got a hold of me and she says, hey, listen, you need to make a payment on this. And I said, I can't. I'm making a payment to them, to, to these people here. Well, why are you paying them instead of paying us? And I said, they called me first and yelled louder. <laughs> you know, so I understand that. I understand. We, we, we have some of that in our church. So here's the second thing. If that is you, and you're struggling in this area, and you just may need help in the area of financing and budgeting and advice on those things, then come and let us know. And in confidence, we'll try to people you up and pair you with those that can help you, to help supply what's lacking in your faith, putting those things of how to budget. Because I know that those are not things that we, that we always know how to do. Don't be embarrassed by that. And let us serve God together by using each other's gifts to do that. The final verse I want to give you is Proverbs 30, verse 7 and 9. Two things I ask of you, he's praying to God. Deny deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. But listen to this. Give me neither poverty 
nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. When it comes to money, let's serve God in the way that he has called us to. With every head bowed and every head closed, I appreciate your time on a topic that many times pastors don't like to talk about and people don't like to hear about. But it is important. Whether you think it or not, money and the way we think about money is a very important part of our lives. And I want us to serve God with all that we have, using all that we have, whether it's our money, our talents, our gifts, our abilities, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. For that will last for eternity. Would you commit to doing that this morning? I'm going to ask if, if uh, we do have, well, you know what? Uh, we'll have uh, asked Randy to be up here for prayer real quickly after the service. We do have our, our dinner right afterwards. We invite you to join with us in room 208 for dinner. If you didn't bring anything, that's okay. We have plenty of food. But let's pray. Father, I pray that you would impress upon our heart the need to be good stewards of all that you've given to us. And Father, we pray that you would not be, that you would be faithful. And Father, that we would look to you. Lord, I pray that we would desire the things of you. Let us not look to the left or to the right, but to you. Rejoice in all that you give to us. Father, looking back to give that to you and to others that you may be glorified. Be with our hearts. Change our mind. Help us to see how we're to think about money. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.